This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm David Stein. When I'm not talking to other people about money on Money for the Rest of Us, I'm stacking Benjamins. From Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and there's lots of screaming and yelling lately in the basement with the NBA finals and the NHL finals going on. And to think in high school, I hated finals. Now I love them. If you're finally thinking about diving into real estate, see what I did there? Take notes, people. This is a master class. Man, do we have a great guest for you today. Help us welcome real estate investor extraordinaire, Dana Bull. Joe, how are we not making fun of that last name? Not polite. Since when do we care about being polite on this show? Okay. 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 Plus, a recent piece in The Economist says that life insurance isn't innovating. What do life insurance companies have to say about that? Joining us from Haven Life, we welcome Laura McKiernan Boylan. Speaking of Haven Life, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Rob, who has some book recommendations, and we'll also share more headlines, more letters, and of course, more trivia. And now, two guys who are still riding off my coattails, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Well, it's not about the coattails. It's the fact that he wears that tuxedo with the long tails, and we trip down the stairs every time he walks in front of us. Why does he do that? Riding his coattails, I'm tripping on them. Hey, welcome to another tripping over stuff podcast. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and across the card table, that sultry voice you hear is the OG Surly. I think you mean Surly. Surly, sultry. It's all the same, isn't it? Happy NBA Finals to you, my friend. Oh gosh! And only the first time since since 2017, the uh, Warriors are going to meet the uh, Cavaliers. It's a so su- it's really great, surprising matchup, isn't it? Yep. Way more surprising than the fact that Slack is supporting Stacking Benjamins. Because I tell you, we support Slack. We love Slack. We love Slack. I slacked Richie today. Slack. For those of you heathens that don't know what it is, it's a collaboration hub for work that makes sure the right people in your team are always in the loop and key information is always at your fingertips. Learn more at slack.com. We've had lots of slacks going back and forth in the last few days, not just yours to Richie, but we have uh, channels like our social media channel. We've got our general message, uh, stacking Benjamin's channel, podcast work group, all kinds of uh, fun 
So, uh, Slack Only sign up for the ones you need. You don't need to be in every channel. I learned that <laughs> you did learn that. Didn't you? There are some places you don't need to be. You're like, how do I get off of this stuff where we actually do work instead of the ones where we just kind of chat every once, every couple weeks. It's almost like our Facebook group that way. Huh? I got a new phone, so maybe I'll hook up Facebook to my phone. That's good. Uh, we're also saying thank you to everybody who signed up for the stacker. That's our email that mom always puts on the fridge. You know, what's cool about the stacker is sometimes we, we don't really get a chance to go into detail. Like last week, we talked about fees in the stacker, about investment fees and how those fit in your portfolio. We also talked about the tour recently coming up for those of you who are in Orlando. Yes. If you're in Orlando, Detroit, or Kansas city tickets going on sale soon to see a live production of the stacky Benjamins program. Uh, but to get information on that stacky forward slash stacker comes magically into your email once a week, roughly. And I was going to say that's, that's asterisk generous weeks, maybe more than seven days. <laughs> yes. It's always free, and you can unsubscribe whenever you want. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Unsubscribe whenever you want, but you'll probably put it on your fridge, like I said, like mom does. We've got a great show today. Dana Bull is a phenomenal real estate investor, OG, and she's going to talk about all the early mistakes she made when she was young and foolish. And so if you're interested in investing in real estate, Dana Bull going to show you her personal story and hopefully coach you on how you can do well with real estate. However, we've got some great headlines first, so let's get this party started, shall we? Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Napa-Net, the National Association of Plan Advisors, those crazy people in the industry of 401k management, pension fund management. I bet their happy hours are just super exciting for those crazy. people. Crazy. Three to six is just nuts at Napa-Net headquarters. <laughs> Uh, women face cash out challenge this written by Ted Godbout. Listen to this. This is pretty wild. A new study highlights the challenges faced by women in preserving their 401k savings when changing jobs. Retirement clearinghouse executive vice president Tom Johnson revealed findings at a May 22nd women's Institute for a secure retirement Roundtable showing that women with small 401k balances, particularly for those with balances less than $5,000, cash out at a much more frequent basis than men. According to the data, each year an estimated 5.9 million women participants will change jobs, of whom about 2.4 million or 41% will cash out a total of $28 billion in retirement savings plus taxes and penalties. On a positive note, the findings also show that as women's 401k balances grow, they're more likely than men to preserve their retirement savings. So at small balances, women cash out more often, but once the balances grow, they're less likely to make that mistake. I don't, I don't want to get into the gender stuff. Obviously, two guys talking about gender differences. I think OG is tough. But this idea when you have a small IRA balance that, hey, it's only 5000 bucks, so let's cash it out. Big, big, big mistake. I know I've done it, right? Through the lens of everything that I coach people not to do, I've probably already done three times, you know? But uh, it is kind of slippery because you do, I mean, you can can kind of look at it and say, well, you know, it's only, it's only at this job for a little while. It's only 2,800 bucks. Uh, who cares? Or equally I think as bad as having 
several of those $2,500 accounts, right? Or $5,000 accounts or whatever. And you don't ever kind of put those together to make a cohesive strategy where you look at those individually and say, well, yeah, that job was only a little while. So I only have 5,000 there. And that job was a little while. I have 5,000 there, you know, that sort of thing. And, and instead you should be looking at it. Like I had four jobs that now I have 25,000, you know, and that should be, you know, part of my uh, overall investment strategy. It's, it's very frustrating. You look at the rule of 72 and the amount that uh, $5,000 becomes later on. That, that That's mm-hmm. that's not 5000 bucks toward retirement. That's a lot, lot more than that. Yeah. And it never goes into the place where people say it's going to go, right? It's not like, well, I'm going to cash it out, but I'm going to use it to dot, dot, dot. You know what it is? It's a down so payment on a car. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I so, hear that on tax refunds, don't you? So Yeah. And not only are you... Not only are you cashing this in and paying taxes and penalties, but you're now going to have a car payment as well because it's not as much as you think it is. Like you're like, oh, five grand. I got my five grand. Bam. The tax comes out. Bam. The penalty comes out. And uh, yeah. My favorite is when the penalty is applied at the tax return. Doesn't come out. Oh, you need. uh, Also, you're going to owe eleven hundred. I'm sorry. What? How am I going to where am I going to come up with eleven hundred dollars? Back up that truck. What are you talking about? Huh? Oh, like the tax. The old, the old CPA is like bad news for you there, Mr. OG. Yeah, it's uh, very, very sad. Do not cash those out, whether small Don't. balance, large balance. And you know what it often is? What do you think people are generally looking at when they cash it in? I mean, it's not just the car. What are they usually looking at? I don't know. I think it's just because you can compare it easily to an amount of paychecks, right? Where you know, if it's $5,000 and you make 50 grand a year, you go, well, it's like a month's worth of pay. I'll make that up. I'll get that back in. You know, I'll save that again later. I, I, I kind of a little light this month with me changing jobs. So I need a little bit of, you know what I mean? Like that's, I kind of feel that because you can compare it to a set of, you know, reasonable or recent pay stubs or, you know, bank deposits. That's why it seems so inconsequential. Yeah. And then it's the other side I think is also true. When you look at somebody that's got $800,000, like, oh my gosh, that's, 20 years worth of earnings. I, don't, I can't touch that. I'll never, you know, I can never repay that type of thing. It's a sad thing to do. Don't make that mistake, kids. And our second headline comes to us from The Economist. This piece is interesting to me. It says the life insurance industry is in need of new vigor. And I thought since we have a company that we work very closely with, Stacky Benjamins, that we get somebody from Haven Life on with us. And we're happy to have on my dad's shortwave, Laura McKiernan Boylan with us. How are you, Laura? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. You've read this piece, I'm sure, in The Economist. What did you think when you first read that the business you work in is in need of new vigor? I don't think that that would be a surprise to people familiar with the industry. I've definitely uh, had challenges, and I think that's for a number of reasons, legacy infrastructure, low interest rates. But I don't think it's true that there's no innovation. I think there are um, plenty of companies out there really trying to make a change. It's just hard. It's a very challenging industry to work in. So uh, there's opportunity and there are definitely people pushing forward. Well, let's talk about where the innovation seems to be happening. Where's the exciting stuff happening in life insurance right now, Laura? So at my company, Haven Life, we have started with a a blank slate, essentially, and we're building a new software technology platform to support the customer experience from app submit to, you know, the policy going in force. I think there are a lot of players out there that are focusing on the buying process, the products themselves, and really just trying to make the experience of working with the life insurance company uh, more customer friendly. 
that I think is the place where it's ripe for innovation because historically when I've was working with clients, I'd try to take people through the the process and it was it was absolutely painful sometimes going through mm-hmm. the whole underwriting process, going through the uh, application process. I felt like I had to answer the same question about 57 times. My, my client had <laughs> yeah. to answer the same question <laughs> over and over. It seems like that's where some of the fun stuff is. Do you see that as well? Absolutely. That's one of the things that we focus on, especially in my role in algorithmic underwriting. It's very difficult to get an insurance application out there. It has to be approved by regulators, which is a really important consumer protection, but it does add a lot of time to the process. And then it sort of limits your ability to innovate. It limits your ability to play around with the language in the questions or to try new things with underwriting or how you evaluate applicants. And so we're really working to set up a very flexible platform so that we have the ability to try things to try to improve the experience for customers, but also make sure that we're meeting whatever regulatory requirements are placed on us and making sure we're very much in line with important consumer protections that are in place. They talk in this piece that another option that insurance companies have is to expand into new markets. They talk about emerging economies, life insurance penetration, it says, ranges from 2.6% of GDP in China to just 0.4% in, in Russia. At Haven Life, is that something you guys are looking at as new markets, maybe even new markets inside the United States, Laura? Yeah. So partnering with Mass Mutual, I think our primary focus is in the U.S., but there absolutely are huge untapped markets. There are a lot of people that just don't have enough life insurance coverage in force to protect their families. And so we're always trying to think of ways that we can reach new people and help them learn about life insurance and in most cases learn that it's not as expensive as they thought it would be. But it's definitely a challenge because people, there's maybe a little bit of skepticism about life insurance or there's not so much familiarity so our marketing team, I think, does a great job trying to educate consumers about how important it is and the value that it can bring. Traditionally, Laura, I know that agents have been a big part of the process, and I know that sometimes that can speed up the process because an agent can help people kind of navigate, <laughs> kind of navigate how the system works and, and what to expect and help people set up a good plan for their insurance. But how are you guys making that process quicker so that uh, agents maybe aren't a speed bump in the way? I think that there will always be a role for a financial professional for some consumers who want that support, want face-to-face, or just want someone who can give them a, you know, more confidence in the decisions they're making. But there are a lot of consumers out there that don't necessarily want the agent to come and sit at their kitchen table, who want to be able to do it on their own, who want to be able to do it online. And so at Haven Life, we're developing a direct-to-consumer platform, which traditionally hasn't been a great option or a really available option uh, historically. So I think it's really all about options. You want people who want the comfort of an agent. You want people who want to be able to do it independently. Um, And just providing all those options will make more customers happier with their life insurance experience. I was reading recently about airlines and about how uh, some of the struggles that airlines have is the fact that their equipment is pretty old. The systems that they're building these reservations on are pretty old. And, you know, we look at what happened in Atlanta at the airport there as as kind of a big problem. Some of this legacy infrastructure. Do you see the same problem in the life insurance industry? I think that is the biggest reason why life insurance hasn't evolved more quickly as an industry. You know, every company out there that's been operating since the 1800s has technology that's as old as computers themselves. At my last company, we had business on the books from, uh, you know, the 1920s. And it can be very difficult to maintain technology, maintain infrastructure when you're really talking about decades or even centuries of business. 
So one of the advantages that the new players have is that we get to start with sort of a blank slate. Um, we get to build technology from the ground up, and that really allows us to be more flexible, and we don't have to worry about the overhead of legacy infrastructure. Well, it's so exciting seeing some of the innovation because I've long thought that the life insurance industry is a place that's ripe for disruption. So I'm glad to talk to you, Laura, about some of the exciting things you guys are doing there. Thanks for hanging out for a few minutes with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Laura. You know, it's funny. No innovation in life insurance. No, nope. Don't, do not look over here. Nothing. There's definitely no innovation going on. Pay no attention to what's behind this curtain. Nothing going on. I think that's... Uh, yeah, yeah, lots going on. A very exciting industry, I think, to be a part of right now because definitely an industry ripe, ready for ready for some innovation like our friends at Haven Life. All right, I think uh, that's lesson number one. There's lots of innovation going on in life insurance. But number two, you've got a 401k balance and looking at that bill, thinking mm, maybe I'll take the 401k out, ripped out that money and pay the tax and the penalty. That penalty might be bigger than you think it is. And that money, that little bit of money you think sitting there, probably going to be worth a lot more in retirement than that little car payment you're looking at right now. Dana Bull OG started investing in real estate when she was 22 years old. She purchased her first condo. Uh, she knew nothing, absolutely zero about how home inspections work, the mortgage worked, home ownership worked in general. But you know what she did? She got an early start, which is why I'm so excited to talk to her today, because no matter what you do, regardless of the investment, starting now, I think is where the magic's at. Go ahead and make mistakes. Learn from the mistakes early and often. Learn from them, yep. Yeah, and go from there. Real estate investor and real estate coach, Dana Bull, joining us in the basement. Let's say hello. And here she comes down the stairs. Dana, how are you? Good. How are you, Joe? Well, I'm great now that you're going to show us real estate and uh, how to be a great real estate investor. Let's start off with the stats. You now, Dana Bull, today. Tell us about the Dana Bull Real Estate Empire 2018. All right. So here's where I'm at these days. I'm full-time real estate agent. I have a coaching business and I work for the Zillow Group. I have a blog with them. I guess the way I got there was because I started investing at a pretty young age, pretty much right out of college. I convinced my boyfriend to start buying apartments with me and he thought that that was a dumb idea, but he went along with it anyways. So now we have 22 units in the Boston area, in Boston and a little bit north of Boston. It's a crazy competitive market out here. Up until recently, we had self-managed everything. You know, we live in a multifamily, so that helps to cover our mortgage. And that's kind of where we're at right now. 22 different real estate properties. Units. units. So it's uh, everything is either a three or a four family. Okay. So our goal when we started was to get 21 units and the last property ended up being a four family. So that's how it shook out. And you started at 22. How old are you now? I just turned 29. Awesome. So in seven years, you got to that point. Yep. You convinced your boyfriend at the time, husband now, to yeah. go into real estate with you. When did you decide real estate was for you? You know, I always loved real estate. I didn't know anything about real estate investing, but I guess 
from a young age, I was always curious about open houses and I used to go with my parents, just kind of a strange hobby for like a seven-year-old to have, but I used to go along with them. I always was interested in architecture and the design aspect. So that's how I kind of fell into it. It was, it was a curiosity. And then once we started buying, it wasn't like we intentionally set out to become real estate investors that evolved, but it, it more kind of just came about because I was interested in, in the whole process of owning and, and buying different how, types of buildings. How did that conversation go with your boyfriend? Was he in right away or not? The way it evolved was we were looking for a rental and this was back in during the recession and we couldn't find a, a rental, which was weird, but everything seemed overpriced. And then I remember this, uh, this condo came on the market for $60,000. And so that's unheard of in this area. And even as a 22 year old, I knew nothing. <laughs> I didn't know anything about anything. And I was like, that seems really affordable. Online mortgage calculators had just become a thing. So I remember plugging that into something and I was like, huh, that's way cheaper than renting. Um, maybe we should go look at this. And so it was actually, we were renters and we just hit that roadblock. And that's when the wheels started turning. Um, he was adamantly against it. To this day, that condo has now sold three times. And I always joke that it's the one that got away because I think the last time it sold was for like 225 in, you know, such a short time period. <laughs> but it was, I do owe the credit to that one $60,000 random place that was a short sale or something that got us started. That's awesome. And so not only for your first one, do you buy something that's really cheap, but it, but it was a short sale. So you were dealing with a bank on the other side. So we actually didn't end up getting that because ah. my boyfriend still, it wasn't I, um, clicking for him. I got you. So, <laughs> so when you say he was against it, he was against it to the point that you didn't do it. No, no, oh, no. We oh, so when you say at it. Yeah. And so then again, you know, we ended up buying another place, but I always go back to that one as the oh, one that got away. But oh, it was a great little little condo because it, it is the one that jump started the process and and had us um, thinking, you know, can we buy if we are to buy, what steps do we have to take in order to put ourselves in that position? So we ended up getting another condo. You know, I should mention that every property that we own is very old. Our first condo was built in 1784. Yeah. That's <laughs> and old. all the buildings we own are, are pre-1920. Holy cow. Does that present some unique challenges? I would think it would. Yeah, but I guess I don't really know any different. So, I mean, I definitely have a super niche with, with old buildings, which is kind of because that's the inventory in the area where I live. I guess that's those are the types of properties that I like. So now you've got your first house. But it's a house that you're living in. How did you then go from that to let's be a landlord? So that I credit to actually the real estate agent that we worked with at the time. He saw potential in us. And I remember he said, hey, guys, I mean, you can go and blow all your money at the bars in Boston or you can go and buy a three family. Wow. And we were like, why would we want a three family? And he sat down with us one day um, and he walked through what, how the numbers work when you own a three family, uh, the pros and cons, why we should consider it. We thought about it for maybe a year and a half. And then I just remember one day we were, we had taken a long three day weekend in Florida 
and we thought about it and we were like, yeah, you know, we should do that. We should, we should just do it. And then we just came home and we did it. What happened during that year and a half? I mean, had anything changed? Had you had the itch more? I'm wondering, cause that seems like a long time. So we bought the first place, the condo and we lived in it. I mean, we had it for a year and a half and I really wanted to move into downtown Boston. So this was now I own a condo, but I really wanted to be where my friends were. So we ended up actually renting out our condo and then we became renters again in Boston. You know, now we're paying rent, but we're also landlords. So it's just this very strange dynamic. I don't know. We just felt weird about that situation. Yeah, like, right. It's almost like taking a step backwards. But the other thing is capital gains tax when you sell a piece of real estate, if you don't owner occupy it for two years, you basically get hit with uh, having to pay capital gains tax off the profit that you make. So um, we knew we wanted to buy a bigger building, but we were kind of trying to figure out how we could inch along for two years. So then you decide to buy a three family. I'm sure the same three family wasn't still on the market, was it? No. So actually we ended up, there weren't any, there weren't any at the time. So we ended up doing an off market deal that our agent had found for us. It was a previous client of his who wanted to sell. And we bought this uh, rickety old two family. We liked it. So then I think six months later, we ended up buying a three family. It was a tough time. There were a lot of short sales, a lot of foreclosures, but just the, with the buildings being so old, they were just really, really tough properties. You know, these are not clean deals. These, um, these deals come with a lot of baggage. Sometimes the tenants have been there for 30 years. So, you know, you try kicking out people that have been calling a, an apartment their home for 30 years. It's, it's not easy to do. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. So, yeah. So we ended up settling with a two family, got our feet wet that way, liked it and ended up continuing to buy. What did you learn from buying the two family? So that property was actually my least favorite property that we've ever owned. We sold it <laughs> probably three years after we owned it. What I learned is we had inherited tenants. You know, when you when you buy a place, you sometimes have the option to ask for the property delivered vacant or you take on the tenants. It kind of depends on how motivated the seller is, if there's a lease in place um, or if they're tenant at will. So in that situation, there was a lease in place. So we, we didn't really have an option. We um, or we didn't have a good option. So we took them on. And it was just I don't know. It was it was hard becoming a new landlord and acquiring a building where the tenants had been there for several years and they knew it better than we did. And then it was an antique. So it wasn't just an old house, but it was built in 1799. So it was a true antique. Which means um, what? Which means, Dana, that you've got specific laws you have to follow? Now that I'm saying true antique, I don't know the exact definition. Okay. But I can tell you that generalizing here, but after 1880, I find that properties just seem to be again, generally speaking, a little bit more solid. Okay. So anything kind of predating 1880, for the most part, it's low ceilings. You know, they put the the plumbing on the exterior walls. So you have plumbing issues. You have just everything's kind of low and, and creaky as opposed to a lot of the construction after 1900s. It's like you have the high ceilings. Um, 
the Victorian era started to come into play and inspired the architecture. So you have bay windows, you have more of that traditional layout with eating kitchen, dining room, living room. It's not as cramped and yeah. So just kind of a different vibe. Yeah. So that first two family that we had super cute, great location. Not, there was nothing wrong with the building whatsoever, but I just had um, it's kind of some negative connotations with it and it chewed up so much of my mind share. So it became an emotional property for me oh. as opposed to like uh, looking at the numbers or anything like that. Which is uh, interesting. I think that's where you want to be as an investor. You get emotional about your stuff. I think it's it's pretty dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that one, that was a huge learning experience for me, though, is my rational side was, no, let's keep it. You know, we want to hold on to these things long term. But then I was just like, I'm just done with it. It's it's it's. I'm thinking about this property too much in a negative way and it's silly. I can't quite explain it. Was the negativity, was it mostly around the upkeep? It was around the upkeep and I was just very nervous about it all the time. Um, you know, and part of it was because we were new landlords. And so I was getting used to, I guess it's almost like becoming a parent. You go from not having to worry about something to all of a sudden you have this big responsibility and it's just, you have to kind of turn that thing on in your brain that has to think about it. (laughs) Well, and I, I've got a few questions for you now versus then you're obviously not nervous about real estate investing. Now you've been very successful at it. You coach other people about real estate investing why is that? There's a learning curve. And it's also in the beginning, I didn't think about it so much as a business. You know what it was? That's what it is. It's starting a business. And it's a very, very hard thing to do. I myself had underestimated it. And I see people underestimating it all the time. The real estate market is so hot. Everybody wants to buy real estate right now. But it is extremely difficult in so many ways from financing to bandwidth constraints. You know, if you work full time, how are you going to shuffle your schedule around to view properties to, you know, if you're buying a property that isn't turnkey, it takes a significant amount of time, resources, energy to manage a project, a renovation project. So I think in the beginning, I thought I could make to-do lists and then those to-do lists would be done. And I didn't view the business as something that was constantly growing, evolving, changing. Um, And with the business, you deal with the same problems that you would any other business. You know, you have staff issues. um, You have cash flow issues. (laughs) You have regulations that change, laws that change that impact your business. And so it's not like you just set it and forget it. Even if you have a property management company, you know, then you're managing the property management company. So I think that was a big thing was I thought maybe we could get it to a point where it was a set it and forget it. But now I just accept that it's never going to be that way. There's always going to be things to work on or tweak. Right. It's Now it's like a wheel that's always churning like a business. Right. right. What are some of your favorite tools to use now? Because it seems like you've developed quite a system. So in terms of software or tech tools, if you if you will, I am totally reliant on Dropbox. I think I was Dropbox's first customer, though. Like back in college, <laughs> I was using it and nobody knew what it was. I just love it. I, I love having all my documents and everything centralized online so that I know I have access it to anywhere. And then I, I do back it up. 
But uh, that's been huge. And just, you know, in the beginning, I, I didn't want to be organized because it's hard work. But now it's just I know that, you know, everything that's related to real estate needs to be documented, organized and saved in a proper location. So coming up with, I think, a way to keep yourself organized is huge and sticking to it. Um, I set up a separate mailbox. <laughs> so even something that small, though, has been huge because we've moved around so much that having that, um, you know, that one place where the mail can always go. So we're not having to call everybody and, and transfer our mailbox was definitely a smart play. I have a scanner on my phone. The app is called, I think, Genius Scan. You know, if I have an invoice or something, I just scan it right into Dropbox. I do a lot of document signing, leases, all that, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I use uh, Dot Loop for that. Yeah. So I can just send a tenant an email just saying, oh, yep, you want to extend the lease another year. Here's the extension, you know, here's the lease extension. Just sign in and <laughs> sign in. <laughs> I do virtual meetings, too. Sometimes I'll have a tenant that's relocating from out of state. So to show them the apartment, I'll do a FaceTime with them. And I mean, we can do everything remote. So a great idea. You can show them the whole place. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, And and then we do the lease signing through a virtual meeting, like, you know, like a Skype where we're talking to each other and doing a screen share for that. I use Zoom. Yeah. So, yeah. When it comes to dealing with maintenance, if you knew nothing about nothing, I'm sure maintenance must have scared the hell out of you when you first started. Yeah. So that is the other part of the learning curve that newcomers to the industry, it's it's very easily underestimated. Some people know how to do the actual work and then other people know what needs to be done to do the work. Right. So I'm in that second bucket at this point. I mean, there's always surprises. There's always new things to learn. But for the most part, I understand the problem. I know where we want to be. And then some project management stuff has to happen to get us there. So even something as simple as an appliance delivery. So just getting a new fridge delivered, that shouldn't be that hard, right? But it is like five steps long and it never works on the first try. And I'm going to tell you, it's because I own old buildings where the door frames are 28 inches and they used to make appliances in 28 inches and now they're all 30 to 32 inches. Oh no. So- it involves oftentimes ripping off the whole door frame to get the appliance. So, you know, it involves all these people and then uh, the delivery guys, they don't want to go up to the third floor walk up. So I'm always, you know, I always have to have a $20 bill on me <laughs> so that I can, I can persuade them into doing it. Plumbing issues. It's one thing, you know, our toilet is slow to drain. Okay. That could be many things. That could be something wrong with the toilet. That could be a backup at the waistline, trying to diagnose it and then figuring out who to send out. And I I think what a lot of people don't realize is that with the housing market being so hot right now, contractors are they're so busy. You know, they have better things to do than fix your leaky toilet. A plumber. I mean, they want to be working. They want to be installing three heating systems on a three family. They don't want to be tied down with a leaky toilet. Some little tiny project. Exactly. So I think I think some people are like, well, you know, they should want my money. And it's like, no, they want your big the big work Um, building relationships and maintaining those relationships is key. I think being respectful of people's time. And that was something I fumbled with a little bit in the beginning was I thought, you know, here I am, some like 24 year old 
my only responsibility is to is that I work full time. I'm having a hard time juggling and being responsive. And it's just ridiculous looking back on it that I I couldn't kind of get myself out of my own space in order to triage these issues. Like everybody is busy. And I thought I was more busy than other people. I quickly learned because the real estate market is very small. So if you, you know, blow somebody off or you don't respond, it will come back. <laughs> you know, you're going to need them down the road and they're going to remember that you blew them off. Yeah. You go, oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry or about that. Related to somebody right. that you need, right. you know, you're going to be working with or whatever. It's, it's just very small. That sounds like life here in Texarkana in general. Like everybody knows everybody. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about a lot of the struggles that you've had, but there's like this cool rainbow at the end. So tell us the, that's all the frustrating stuff that people have to learn about and hurdles they need to go over. But tell me about once you're over some of those hurdles, tell us about Dana's life now and some of the big wins that you've had, because you've had many huge real estate wins. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been, I would describe it as highs and lows. Another lesson learned is that you have to go through enough highs and lows to realize that it is cyclical. And at this point, you know, I can have a bad couple weeks and I used to get really worked up about it. And now I'm just like, nope, it's, we're just in a low swing. You know, it'll, it'll come back up and I can kind of talk myself out of a bad mood that way. But generally speaking, getting started and in, in investing and doing it young was the best decision that I feel I ever made. You know, I mentioned that we rented a condo in Boston and felt really bad about it. We felt bad about stepping back and becoming renters after we already owned. That was actually the fuel for the fire because I said, nope, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to go live in a three family. We did that. And then two years later, we ended up putting ourselves in the position to buy in Boston in that same neighborhood. Wow. I love my apartment. And we rent out the first and second floor and it pays for the whole mortgage. So I can kind of live here without any guilt. You know, we didn't take any shortcuts. We didn't partner with with anybody. Uh, we just kind of it's like this the story of the tortoise and the hare. We did things a little bit slowly, but in control. Sometimes it felt out of control. But generally speaking, you know, it's not <laughs> like we we didn't set the goal of let's go buy 500 doors right. and find you know a bunch of people to partner with and go in and do this big complex and get in over our heads that just that was scary to me instead it was let's grow in a way that makes sense where we're not going to lose our shirts which is funny Dana because in hindsight it looks like you move very fast but but that's just taking it a step at a time like eating the elephant one bite at a time sounds like what you did and was you're very successful doing it yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat with this sort of thing. You know, if you you take what we did, it, it would have another strategy would have been, let's just partner and buy one 500 unit complex with partners. You know, that would have been another way to approach this. But instead, this was, you know, we kind of talked about not getting emotional about your investments. Right. But I do think, yes, with a lot of stuff, you know, I'm not going to get emotional about investing in, in stocks or anything. But, you know, I will say that people, they do tell you to invest in things that you're interested in yes, because right. then you're going to track it and keep on top of it. And I do think that's also true for real estate. Unless your plan is to be completely hands off, you know, and just outsource the whole process, I do think you need to have on some level something that grabs you about what you're doing so that you stay motivated. 
And so that you can kind of work through the frustrating bits. I want to ask you about your website, DanaBull.com, where you coach mm-hmm. people. You've got all kinds of resources there. Tell people what they get when they go to your site. Honestly, Joe, I just have tons of people reaching out every week that want to pick my brain. That's oh, the term. I was going to ask if your coaching arm is your right arm or your left arm or third arm. <laughs> I would say I would say it's my left arm. Right, right, <laughs> There's a real need there and a real desire from people that want to get started doing what it is that I do. And they just want the old fashioned mentorship or coaching. So we didn't, you know, I had a real estate agent that kind of dabbled in, in the investing and he helped us get started. And then we far surpassed him. Interestingly, I now work for him at, uh, you know, at Sotheby's International Realty. It's a circle um, of life. It's again with the connections, you know, right, right. But with the coaching, you know, what I've done is I've put together some modules and also just kind of one on one. What are you looking to do? What are your goals? And just talking about some of the high level options of from financing to strategy, finding tenants, all that kind of stuff and just helping to give people some framework. You know, I can't give you the answers on what to do, but I can point out some pretty important basics that will help you to think about how to get started and what steps to take to reach that goal. Awesome. And you'll find that at DanaBull.com. And by the way, if you're out on your morning walk or run or on your way to and from work, wherever, we'll have it in the show notes at StackyBenjamins.com. Dana, thanks for dropping by and hanging out with us and teaching us about real estate. It's exciting to watch what you're doing. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Hey there, trivia fans. Welcome to my award-winning trivia segment. There have been awards, Joe. There have been. Just accept it and move on. Get back to what you're working on over there in the corner. Anyway, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and let's not hurry this trivia segment because I wanted to share a question I thought of this morning. What motivates you? It could be money, power, or maybe even, dare I say it, happiness? Just kidding about the happiness. That doesn't motivate anybody. Who wants that? Like those teams going after the NBA or the NHL finals. We all want to win the big one. In this business, I'd be perfect to win a Pulitzer. You know, with our use of financial stories all the time, let's talk Pulitzer, shall we? What newspaper refused to compete for the Pulitzer Prize until 1961 because the owner called it nothing more than a mutual admiration society? I'll be back with the answer and maybe a good tip from Joe's mom about tonight's NHL game in just a moment. Thanks to Slack for supporting Stacking Benjamins. You know, it's amazing how many different ways you and your team or teams can use Slack. It's a collaboration hub for work, whatever work you do. With Slack, the right people in your team are kept in the loop and the information they need is always at their fingertips. Teamwork on Slack happens in channels, letting you organize conversations and information around projects, offices, and teams. We just started with the new intern Caden and Caden immediately was added to some of our Slack channels. So now he's much more quickly up to speed than if we had several different emails flying around or text streams going around. It's all messy where Slack dovetails all of those conversations into one. 
it's way faster, way easier for us to get things done because everything we need is all in one place. With Slack, our team's better connected. You can find out more at slack.com. Here are a few of the things I like about Slack. There's no more searching through emails for that one follow-up or searching through multiple systems to figure out what the heck we're looking for. No more switching across multiple tabs and platforms to keep updated with work. And with mobile apps for iOS and Android that sync seamlessly, you can always pick up where you left off no matter where you are. Slack, where work happens. Learn more at slack.com. That's slack.com. Welcome back, Trivia Kids. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm here with some bad news. Now, I'll, I'll have your trivia answer in just a moment, but Joe's mom knows less about hockey than I thought. She thought the Washington Capitals play in our nation's capital. <laughs> what a simpleton. Oh, she's funny. On to our trivia question, which was this. What large newspaper organization didn't compete for a Pulitzer Prize until 1961? The answer? The Chicago Tribune. Then-owner Colonel McCormick reportedly said that the Pulitzer Prize was nothing more than a mutual admiration society and was not to be taken seriously. We know that the Pulitzer Prize is serious, though, don't we, friends? That's why you're going to call the Pulitzer people and tell them the, how brilliant this trivia segment was and how they'd be remiss, yes, remiss, to not include me in this year's competition. Speaking of competition, Joe's mom says that the Las Vegas Golden Knights are playing tonight, too. My God, doesn't she know football doesn't even start till the end of summer? Somebody's got to learn that woman. See ya! Chicago Tribune. Close. Swing and a miss. Hey, thanks to uh, Dana Bull for sharing her stories. You know, I love stories from people that aren't afraid to say professionals. You know, you talked earlier about a little bit alluded to mistakes you've made in your past with money. Dana talking about mistakes that she's made with money. Mm -hmm. It's exciting to see that no matter how bad you are with money today, tomorrow could be a whole different story. It's all about just deciding, right? To say, you know, enough, that's it, I've had it. It's time to move forward, it's time to do things differently. I can distinctly remember different times in my life where that's where that's where you go, okay, no, no more done. Right. And everybody has that breaking point or tipping point. Right. And that's what she's talking about. It's so exciting. Hey, OG, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, as we talked about earlier, they're disrupting the life insurance industry that needs to be disrupted. It is. Oh, wait. It's not being disrupted, it said. Yeah. Well, I think Laura. Wink. Yes, that's right. Proved differently. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they're focusing on those two things you value most. Making financial mistakes and... Uh you know, recuperating from them and, and bounce it back or your family back. and your time. It's why they created a simple way for you and I to buy affordable and dependable term life insurance online. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven life right now. Pause it, get it right now and come back. Cause life insurance is way more important than listening to a podcast. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven life. And you'll get a free estimate for coverage and you'll learn about life insurance the modern way. And today Today's feedback day on the show, OG. We've got a uh, couple people in the pipeline who are going to comment on past shows. But uh, today, Rob wants to pitch in. 
Hey, Joe and OG. I heard a listener question a few weeks ago. Someone asked about investing books, and you named a few, but um, I have read or listened to several dozen investing books, and I take pretty copious notes. I know, nerd alert, right? But anyways, I had a couple books that I thought your listeners might be interested in. The first is called The Simple Path to Wealth. And it's the one I recommend most often to kind of beginning investors. It was written by a blogger, and I feel like it's it's pretty practical. Some of the assumptions I don't necessarily agree with, but it is a nice introductory way for people to, to get into investing. The second introductory book I think is phenomenal, and it's very short. It's called The Elements of Investing. It's about a two-hour audiobook. Um, I highly recommend it for folks just trying to understand the basics, but but really getting into some advanced stuff as well. And then perhaps my favorite, uh, actually I have two favorite more advanced books. One is called The Intelligent Asset Allocator, and the other is Four Pillars of Investing. I re-listen to those every year or two. They're both advanced, but they dig into um, you know elements of, of the perfect portfolio and return and risk, psychology of investing, really good books. So hopefully that's helpful to you or your listeners. Talk soon. Rob coming through with uh, more cool books. Had a bunt single, but he just uh, he called his shot. He's standing <laughs> at home plate, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm going deep. Watch this. Here you go. Wow. Absolutely. Four four pillars of investing is a book that I also have read and liked. Have you dug into any of those that he mentioned? I'm not a big fan of reading or listening to things. So kind of set in my ways, so I've, I don't absorb any new information. I've started. No, I've, uh, I think three of the four things you mentioned. I've 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 started getting back into audiobooks. By the way, to Rob's point, and I'm really enjoying as I'm staining my deck listening to audio listening to audiobooks. It kind of yeah, stain your deck anymore. It's 147 degrees outside. That's the bad news. I I have to do it. Seriously, I have to do it. I have to be done by 8 a.m. So I go out there and I try to do a little bit at a time. The stain evaporates out of the can faster than you can put it on the wood. Absolutely horrible. We might talk about that a little bit later. But thanks to Rob for that. We also get emails down here in the basement. And uh, David is going to take issue with something that I said in his letter. David writes, Dear OG, Dear OG, since you're the voice of reason, can you please inform Joe there are numerous details left out of the plot of Moneyball. The A's had three top pitchers in the league MVP on rookie contracts for a combined total under $6 million, but that's not mentioned once in the movie. With that kind of foundation, even Doug could have turned them into a winning team. Come on, Joe. I expect better out of my source for misguided financial information. Actually, David, that's kind of the point. Somebody was complaining about the Oakland A's. And by the way, all of the baseball non-nerds have tuned out. Um, Including yours truly. But just fast forward about 30 seconds after my rant back at David. Here's, Here's the point, David. Somebody was saying yesterday that with Moneyball, that Billy Bean still hasn't won a national championship. And I look at it this way. That's still a national, that's an international championship, isn't it? International championship. In your world. Yes. Uh, that still hasn't won the big cup of... Hasn't won the Vince Lombardi trophy of baseball, whatever that's called. Of baseball. Hasn't won the Stanley Cup of baseball. baseball. He hasn't won the gold medal of baseball. Hasn't won the World Series. And I stopped and said, but this dude's doing stuff with a quarter of of, of the resources. I mean, that's the whole point of Moneyball, David, is that Billy Bean has a competitive team 
on a much, much smaller budget. So yes, I understand that he had three top pitchers in the league MVP on rookie contracts, but the fact that he was able to identify those people is a big part of the game and develop them far enough along like these people on rookie contracts to develop them far enough along that they were top pitchers mm-hmm. still pretty unbelievable. So David uh, Hayton on the ace. I wouldn't say I'm a huge ace defender. I just think it's fascinating that, that this team has done pretty 500, you know, to 600 level work in baseball on a budget. That's much smaller. I look at it this way. If you have fewer resources, Right. Let's say that you have a quarter of the resources of the New York Yankees, and yet you can bring in a 550, uh, just over 500 record. Right. You bring in a 550 record. I think I'm high five of myself. If I'm the New York Yankees and I have a 500 to 550 record, I think people are getting fired because they pay a bunch of money. So I don't think the point of money. You said this part was going to be about. 30 seconds. It feels like it's been a little longer. It, it probably has. Thanks for the question, David. Uh, well, not the question. Thanks for the slap, David, as I try to slap back. <laughs> Head to stackybenjamins.com and you'll see across the top of the screen if you too want to uh, comment on baseball or whatever it might be. If you want to get a hold of the show, that's your link. Uh, man, great, great stuff today. Doug's going to say thank you to everybody on behalf of all of us. Uh, One last thing, if you're somebody looking to get your financial house in order, guess what? OG's taking clients. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G to schedule a time to talk about how you can get serious about your financial picture. That's going to do it, man. Doug, take it from here. What should we have learned today? Yeah, sure thing, Joe. I'm going to let you get back to just throwing your lunch money away by betting it all on the Cavs in the NBA Finals. I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, thinking about buying real estate? Take some advice from Dana Bull. Learn the basics of maintenance, contracts, and housing tenants early on, and then delegation will be your friend. If you delegate before knowing how this all works, the road to successful investing might be harder than you'd originally thought. Second, Think life insurance companies aren't innovating? If you're looking into buying a policy, maybe check out one of the newer firms. You might find that companies with fewer legacy issues are able to be more nimble and make the process easy. But the big takeaway? Don't talk sports with Joe's mom. She just said LeBron James plays basketball. What is she talking about? The next thing you know, she'll be telling us that Secretariat won a triple crown or like Jimmy Johnson is a NASCAR driver. (laughs) My God, where does she get this stuff? Unbelievable. Well, she's good for a laugh, you know. Special thanks to our friend Laura Boylan from Haven Life. You can find more on life insurance at stackingbenjamins.com slash havenlife. Thanks to Dana Bull for coming down to the basement. You can find more on Dana and real estate at DanaBull.com. Seriously, Joe, how are we not making fun of this last name? It's gold. Yeah, okay, all right, fine. And you can also find more about Dana Bull in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com, yada, yada, yada. You know how that works. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. 
Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just noticed it's just as dark and damp down here as Joe's soul. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Hey, and thanks to Joe's mom for the good laugh. Golden State and Cleveland playing in the NBA championships against each other? Like that's ever happened. I need to talk briefly about this place that most people don't know about, which is pretty exciting. Cheryl and I just went to called Big Bend National Park, right on the border. You went someplace also. That's in El Paso, yeah. Might as well be the same place, but. Well, El Paso, I think it's a four or five hour drive. Uh, We drove 12 hours from Texarkana to get to Big Bend. It's not really super easy to reach for a lot of people. But you said El Paso was a cool town. Look cool. Yep. I was only there for about a day and a half, but uh, kind of a cool looking place. Hotter than the uh, hinges of, uh, hello. It was 114 degrees the last day we were at Big Bend. Yeah. But that park is amazing. We did a 13 mile hike called the South Rim Trail Hike. Make sure you go out early in the morning. I would also go in January or February. I wouldn't go when <laughs> it started yeah, off. Except, except it's desert there. So in January, February, it could be really too cold. It could be like in the 30s and 40s. Well, then you could go out in the middle of the day, though. You know, you go out in the middle of the day because that, that, that baby still heats up. No, you'll be in the 60s and 70s. Uh, you might even be in the 80s uh, out there down at the Mexican border. I'll tell you what was what was cool. I disagree. Was that it was in the high 60s when we set off at 8 a.m. By the time we finished that hike at 1 p.m., it was, well, no, I take that back at 2 p.m. It was um, um, just over 100 degrees. Yeah, yeah. It was, it went from, oh, this is nice to holy cow, the last like four miles were brutal. So then they come out with those like ice towels, right? On the little platter that like smell like almonds. Yes. Yeah. Somebody in tuxedo like Doug wears around here. Yeah. Totally. Usually they're like kind of like a white, uh, kind of a white gown. Jeeves. Jeeves out on the trail with us. There were people. happens? There were people tenting, which was amazing. I mean, you go up these mountains and by the way, we made it to 72. Our hike went to 7,200 feet. 
which to give you an idea, that's very close to the top. I think I think the peak that you can climb there, seventy eight hundred feet, is the, might be the highest point in Texas. I wish if there were a wish there were a place where right. I could look that up. But we yeah, but we it were doesn't exist. We were very very close. And the South Rim Trail, you're looking out over these cliffs at the desert below, and just these unbelievable views, like these incredible views. And then you backtrack into a canyon called Boot Canyon. There's maple trees. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy trees and stuff growing and and uh, shade. And it's amazing, these uh, sub-ecosystems in the middle, uh, middle of the desert. I was surprised by another thing. These little tiny towns had the most amazing high-end restaurants. Like you're in this town that has people numbering in the hundreds, low hundreds, and yet you have these restaurants that are phenomenal. We ate at the little bar associated with the 12 gauge restaurant at the gauge hotel in marathon texas and this place maybe had 10 chairs in the bar and it's named in several publications as one of the top small bars in the country but no place to sit hardly and i one of the best ribeye steaks i've ever had you would have dug it because you're a steak and potatoes dude fantastic Mm -hmm. ribeye steak so just drive 10 hours get good steak got it there it is we went to La Kiva in this other ghost town, which is named USA Today, had the best small town bars across the nation. And La Kiva made that. And there's there's hardly anybody there. And I had a phenomenal meal with wine. After being out in this place that's so damn desolate, just nobody around. When we were driving back toward Texarkana, given it was about 4.30 in the morning because I didn't want to get home at midnight. So we took off super early. I didn't meet anyone on the road for nearly the first hour that we drove, but I'm driving along. Cheryl is sleeping in the passenger seat. I passed some deer along the side of the road. I'm being really careful because there's so much wildlife out. And I heard that there's javelina all over the place. These little pigs uh, all over. Uh, didn't see any of them. But as I'm driving along, I go, did I tell you about this already? Are you talking to me? No. Yeah. yeah as I'm driving, who else am I talking to? I don't know. You. I couldn't understand if you're... I didn't know if the, did I tell you about this comment was directed at me or part of the story? No, I just wondered I'm if I'm along. Did I tell you about this already? Well, cause you and I have talked before recording this a couple of times, but, but, but as I'm driving down okay. the road, carry on as I'm driving, driving down the road, driving down, down, the, down, the, down the road. Yep. Okay. Looking out for pigs and deer so far. So good. Haven't hit one yet. Cheryl's asleep following you. She would, an hour. Can I talk 11 hours to go? If I can start, that would be great. Oh, you've already started your hour. Oh my show. God. You're 11. You are 11 years old. You're not even 12. I call you a 12-year-old, but that's too mature. So we're driving down the road, and Cheryl hears me go, holy shit, and wakes up, and she goes, what's going on? Standing not a little ways off the road, but right flipping next to the road. Like if, if it had taken one more step, I might have hit it. Bigger than our car, the biggest elk I've ever seen. Like I've seen some elk in captivity. I've never seen an elk. I've seen moose. I saw a moose in uh, Southern Canada on a fishing trip. I saw moose at Yellowstone. This was obviously as, as big as any moose that I've seen, but with that deer head, just um, (laughs) huge, bigger than our car. And uh, I asked Cheryl, she wanted to turn around and see it. And she said, oh yeah. So I turned around thinking that maybe it wasn't there. And sure enough, right next to the road, staring at us, huge elk. Just, I don't, I, I can't tell you how much this thing weighed. It was unbelievably big. And 
put kind of a exclamation point at the end of a great trip. If you get a chance to go to the La Kiva restaurant, if you get a chance to go to the Starlight Diner restaurant, place is crazy. We went kayaking down the Rio Grande. That was fun. Saw mountain goats up on the cliffs, going up the cliffs. Just Big Bend National Park. Amazing place. Go visit your national park, OG. Will do. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.